my kids have grown up with adversity and on in their own mm-hmm. lives. I think that they're very, very, they've been very strong through this whole thing. And, uh, and I think that we're all learning how to be stronger in this and that we're actually tougher than we thought. And, you know, we just have to stick together with those that we love and count our blessings every day. I mean, that's one of the things we've done every, almost every morning is, or, or in the evening is talk about what we're grateful for and focus on that. It's always a special moment when you talk with people you truly admire. This week's guest is one of them. Stephanie Sinclair is a world-renowned photojournalist who focuses on human rights. She has traveled throughout the world capturing impactful images that have truly changed the world. And I'm not saying that lightly. She is the real deal. And I wanted to talk with Stephanie because I'm obsessed with people who live a life of purpose. And when I had my mindset shifts about five years ago that I'll be creating the life that I want to live, when I decided to stop living in and with shame, I decided I wanted to be exposed to people I either cherish or admire. The more we uplift one another, the more uplifting we receive in return. And getting a glimpse into the life of someone so accomplished and using her work to do so much good is a real treat for me and I hope for you too. Stephanie has received all kinds of awards, a Pulitzer Prize, UNICEF Photo of the Year, Visa pour l'image. Her work has been featured in major publications such as the New York Times Magazine, National Geographic and many more. And through that, she's created the nonprofit organization Too Young to Wed, whose mission is to empower girls and end child marriage globally. I'm telling you, if you don't already know her work and chances are you've seen her pictures without realizing it, you need to be aware of her images. They are that compelling and they've impacted communities throughout the world. As always, head on down to t-factor.online slash podcast to find all the relevant details about her and where to find her work. Today, we're diving in her personal life. Yes, we'll get to know what it's like to be a world-renowned photojournalist, but also all the while raising a family and tragically losing a member of her family during this pandemic. I wanted to get to know the person behind the camera. We can talk all day about her achievements, but what made her answer immediately yes to my interview is very touching. It has to do with her children. Not only is Stephanie changing lives and cultures with her photography, She has changed the lives of two beautiful children with albinism from China, whom she and her husband adopted. There's a lot to be said about being different and out of the norm tall, but albinism is this rare condition that is a difference on a whole other level. In some countries, having albinism can cost you your life or your limbs or abandonment. And it's a beautiful difference that we're starting to embrace in the Western world with role models. Uh, Lana Del Rey shot this amazing 20-minute video with model Sean Ross. And model Deandra Forrest was um, one of the beauty queens in um, Beyonce's video. And she was on our podcast as well. Salif Keita is an international star. Um, from uh, from Africa and also we have Winnie Harlow who has she's shining a bright light on skin diversity but she has a condition called vitiligo 
I sat down with Stephanie back in June for the International Albinism Awareness Day when we were all doing our best with homeschooling and work and life. So let's listen into this episode and learn all we can on the beauty of being different. And stay in until the end when Stephanie has a little treat for us. It's so cute, you wouldn't want to miss it. June 13th is the International Albinism Awareness Day, and I've been wanting to talk to you ever since I had the lovely Deandra Forrest on my podcast last year in around uh, the same time. Deandra, of course, is probably the biggest female model today with albinism. And on her podcast, we talked about growing up with a difference and how to build a strong character and confidence. And you certainly have a lot of character and confidence through your body of work that we can talk about forever because it's so long. But today we wanted to focus on albinism because you have a strong connection to albinism. And can you introduce us all in your own words to albinism and what it is? Sure. Um, Albinism is a genetic condition where uh, the person who has it is lacking melanin, which is the pigment that uh, provides color in the skin. And for people with albinism, they lack pigment in their eyes, their skin, and their hair. And there's different levels of albinism. So some people have a little bit more pigment and thus a little more eye color. But for the most part, it's something that, that is pretty rare around the world. It's about one in 20,000 people have it in the United States. And it it kind of varies in other countries, but it's, it's an interesting condition. My, I have two children who have albinism. And so that's my connection to the condition. Yeah, exactly. That's how I found you when I was doing research for my podcast with, again, Deandra last year. And I have to tell you, it took me a week to get over it because when you start doing research on albinism, of course, I knew what albinism is. I've seen people with albinism and I was even told myself that I, I'm so white. I grew up in a, in a country where people are darker and I was always teased that I looked like an albino and because I'm, I was so fair and my hair was very, very blonde. And so obviously I had to figure out but what is an albino, but going deeper in albinism when I had to talk with Deandra, it is a shock, an absolute shock what happens to people with albinism around the world. So can you tell us, and you travel all over the world, and that's also the question I wanted to ask you, how did you first get exposed to albinism? I'm happy to answer that. Um, So my background is I'm a National Geographic photographer, and I had actually seen, I was reading articles about uh, people with albinism, and I pitched a story to them about looking at the condition worldwide. Because, uh, you know, the more I read, the more I understood that it's, it kind of impacts different communities in different ways. And for instance, in certain parts of Africa, if you have albinism, it People have actually been hunted for their body parts because they, some people believe, witch doctors incorrectly believe that their body parts, if they're made into potions, can create good luck. And then in other places, it's just seen like any other disability. For instance, most people with albinism have low vision, which means that they, most of them are legally 
blind. And so that's the disability that that comes with it. But the main thing that people don't understand is that when there's no pigment in the skin, they can get skin cancer very easily. And actually they have the highest rates of skin cancer in the world because there's no pigment at all to block any of the rays, even the UV rays or A and B. And so they're very susceptible to that. And And so that was what we wanted to bring more attention to through a big project I did on albinism with Nat Geo. And when was that? When was the albinism reportage that you did? It was published in 2017. And what's interesting is, so when I was doing the project, my husband and I were actually in the adoption process. Mm -hmm. And so we um, were, you know, part of my project was researching the topic. and and, And I learned that there were many kids in China who were actually put up for adoption in part because uh, we believe in part because they had albinism. And, you know, this was also during uh, when China had the one child policy. And so I think that for, for a lot of, you know, agricultural families, agrarian families, this was problematic. If you have one child that if they have a disability, it was very difficult to, to then, you know, be, be able to have a child like that. So, um, so there were a lot of children with albinism put up for adoption, and we ended up adopting two uh, that were actually brought home in 2017, around the same time, not too long after my my children were not not too long after the story was published as well. Did you adopt both children at the same time? We did. Uh, I don't think China allows that anymore, but we were actually adopting um, my my daughter and then they informed me about my son and who's and that he was available for adoption and he was actually part of a hosting program so they came over there were several kids who were starting to get a little bit older he was six at the time and Uh and so they brought them to the united states to you know host them and see if they could find appropriate families for them it actually worked most of the children were adopted during or you know committed to be adopted during that time and so yeah, so I ended up we ended up bringing both of them home at the same time, and they're best buds. They're actually, I so we are actually in my office today, and they're they're just best buds. They've managed this whole pandemic amazingly, just hanging out together. And and I know that they're their heritage, they're being adopted at the same time, but absolutely, their albinism is one of the things that really makes that bond strong. Well, bless you. You know, it's it's not easy to have one child at a time, and but you have the courage of bringing two at the same time. So really, bless you and your husband. Thank you. No, it's 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 a blessing for us. They bring us a ridiculous amount of joy. In fact, my daughter was sitting here with me yesterday, and she was telling me that, <laughs> that her um, that she has a powerful heart. I was like, yes, you do. Yes, you do. She's a ve- they're very loving, very wonderful children. Can you tell us more uh, what we can do to help around the Albinism Awareness Day? Because the UN has decreed June 13th as the Albinism Awareness Day. And and how impactful is that, do you think, for uh, people with albinism around the world? I know it means a lot to people that have albinism. I mean, last year we did a campaign in New York. We did a Times Square billboard. So DeAndra was part of it and several mm-hmm. other models that had albinism and my children were also part of it. And so I think that, you know, I think it's really wonderful. It makes them feel, it helps them feel valued and, and a time just to celebrate their differences. And so, so yeah, so I think as far as to help, I mean, there's many ways to help. I think just, you know, spreading awareness is always helpful, but I think there's also organizations you can support that help kids um, with scholarships 
because they need a lot of extra support. They need glasses. They need, you know, all different types of accommodations, advocacy, all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you definitely uh, talked about that also. Uh, do you have all that information on your website? I don't currently, but I can share it with you. Uh, so you have, I mean, there's, you know, I can send you a link to the albinism projects we've done, and I can certainly share contact information for the different organizations that are serving people with albinism. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, thank you. I mean, your your website is focusing more on your Too Young to Wed organization, which is also something that is very impactful. And you definitely lead a, a life of purpose and meaning. And that's what we like to highlight here at the T-Factor. So you definitely have a lot to teach us all. And, um, and I wanted to know if you, if you have thought of the ways that you're going to help your children build a confident character, you know, if they, if they might be bullied at school, like how do you foresee building confidence? I mean, the biggest struggle they have so far because they're in, they just finished first and third grade. So the kids, they're still pretty young. So the biggest struggle they have right now is keeping up with their peers in school and reading in specific uh, because it's just so, you know, their, their eyes fatigue, you know, when you have visual impairment like that, it's, it's just exhausting for your eyes to constantly be kind of finding words. And so I think finding accommodations, making, being able to have access to technology, all of those types of things are, are have been the kind of the biggest struggle in, in helping them keep up with their peers in class. And I think that keeping up with their peers is what's going to make them feel confident when they feel like they need, when they're falling behind or, or their friends are, you know, th- those are the types of things that I think will hurt their self-esteem. And so it's really hard to keep them um, up to speed in that way. Do people with albinism, I mean, Deandra talked about the fact that she switched schools. So when, when she switched high schools, that, that was a big turning point for her, where she went to a school for people with eye uh, impairment. Is that what you say? Do you think that children of the albinism should, uh, should be, it depends on the level of their eyesight, but should they be going to a school for uh, people with eye difficulties? I I think it depends on where you live. So we are in the suburbs of New York City and, you know, we have really amazing school districts out here. And so they make uh, they make a lot of accommodations and 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 have been very we have like vision therapy and and orientation and mobility training and, you know, all kinds of different things that are offered for the kids out here that we don't have to send them to a school for the for the blind but I feel, I mean, my daughter has very, very poor vision. So, mm. I mean, it's like seriously like looking through like the bottom of a Coke bottle, like for her soda bottle. So it's it's really intense. And so, but she's been able to do it. And I think, so I think it depends on where you live. I mean, the project we did for National Geographic, we went to India, we went to Tanzania, Panama, which Panama actually has one of the highest has the highest rate of people with albinism in the world. It's like one in 45 people have the gene. But, um, you know, the main thing I saw in developing countries is that they just don't have the educational support. And so that's where you really see a lot of problems. And for instance, like when my kids were in China, they had, they had a little bit of school, but they didn't even have glasses for them. 
And most of the places that I went, did they didn't even have, none of the students have glasses. So if you have, if you're legally blind, you need to at least have glasses to help give you the most that you can get out of the vision you do have. Because most of them, legally blind means that, you know, there's, it's 2200 is the vision, you know, level that you need after that you're legally blind or 2200. Mm-hmm. But in most of us, if you have perfect vision, it's 2020. In each eyes. And so I think that's the biggest issue is, you know, the access to the services. And, and we're very lucky in developed countries like, you know, in the U.S. and Europe and other places where those things are very available. And I think if you're from wealthy families, um, then you're also going to have more services available. So but if you don't have that, that kind of access, I would think that a school for the visually impaired would definitely be the best option. Wow. And you also travel all around the world for your for your work. Uh, do you find that there is a different level of attacks and aggressive attacks? Is it really in Tanzania? I saw that I read that in Tanzania, children are viciously attacked for their body, if not their uh, some body parts. And does that happen also in other countries than Tanzania? Yes. I mean, it, it's, it's not super common. So it's not like, oh, it's not. Okay. Day. but about 10 years ago, there was a, a wave of killings and that's kind of what brought so much attention to this issue. And there are still uh, kids who live in protectorate centers to even in Tanzania. And especially now during the pandemic, they've had, you know, a lot of those places have, have kept the, the kids in school rather than sending them home because they weren't necessarily totally safe to be back in in their home areas. And that's, you know, if you think about that, like, even though there haven't been a lot of killings lately, just the idea that mm-hmm. children would spend, you know, their whole, you know, their lives in, in these schools and not seeing their families is really, that's very difficult. That's not, it's very unfortunate that even the concern of that would keep kids away from their families. So. Um, it's quite inconceivable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it does happen in, in many places, um, in a few different countries, not just Tanzania, that are in Africa. And in China, what is the uh, experience in China? You mentioned that uh, quite a lot of children are abandoned by their families, but is it more regarding the eyesight or do they have also a stigma around the skin color? You know, I I, I haven't spoken to, um, I haven't spoken to a lot of, I don't know any of the family you know, who, who made the decision to put their children up for adoption. So we can't really say, I think that I can say that from what I understand there, you know, a a lot of the orphanages currently are filled with all kinds of children that have special needs. So I think that there is a stigma around any children with disabilities, but at that, at the same time, you know, if, when you look at, you know, I've seen when I was kind of researching our adoption, There are, you know, there there are, you know, short films and things that were made about the pain that families go through to put their children up for adoption. So we don't know why they're up for adoption. They may do it because they don't feel like they can they can give them the care that they need. So it's just it's hard for it's hard for me to kind of say why. I do know that there is an albinism organization in China that has um, that's worked with the main organization here in the U.S. called NOAA and albinism advocacy organization. And and so I know that there's more and more acceptance, but yeah, it's, it's complicated uh, to, to really know the, the full reasons behind, you know, why the kids are put up for adoption. 
I see. And how do you manage to have your children at home right now and working from home? Tell us a little bit, because you're a world-renowned photographer. And uh, how do you manage to, to with, with your life today and your three dogs? Do you still have three dogs? Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, so cute. Can you tell us how you balance your work and family life? How, how does a day of work at home look like for you right now? It's been... You know, it's, I think it's been challenging for everyone. I think that everyone. we're very lucky. You know, we live, we live in kind of the woodsy suburbs outside. So we were backed up to 10 acres of wood. So my children have not had to like stay in an apartment um, right. you know, we've gone outside every day. And so we're very, very fortunate that we've had that experience. I mean, I think that, you know, it, I haven't been photographing too much. I've photographed them. So we photographed, I photographed our <laughs> And my husband is quite a good photographer as well, even though he's an attorney, but, um, he, you know, he learned from the best. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we've, we've really wanted to document this experience for them so they can kind of remember the kind of ups and downs, uh, that we went through. Uh, my dad actually passed away during the coronavirus pandemic. And so that's been, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, but that's been kind of the, you know, the biggest challenge of kind of just going through. Was know, it with the coronavirus? It was actually uh, as a result of not being, he had heart issues and wasn't able to go to the doctor to deal with them. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And and so, it, you know, there, I think that when, when the, all is said and done from this pandemic, we're going to see a lot more, you know, a lot more devastation that was kind of, that was as a result. But I think... I mean, I think my kids have grown up with adversity and on in their own mm -hmm. line. I think that they're very, very they've been very strong through this whole thing. And uh and I think that we're all learning how to be stronger in this and that we're actually tougher than we thought. And, you know, we just have to stick together with those that we love and count our blessings every day. I mean, that's one of the things we've done every, almost every morning is or or in the evening is talk about what we're grateful for and focus on that. Oh, well done. I love this ritual. And your your children, you managed to do that with your children? Of course, yes. Oh, well done, you. I'm taking notes. <laughs> telling you. I mean, yeah, uh, it's time. You know, we go through waves of, yeah, it's going well this week. And then the following week is just, ay, ay, ay. You know, um, and we forget that there are those rituals and those little things that we can add into our everyday life that just take pause and make us remember that we're doing good. Yeah. I think all things considered, I mean, you know, we, especially, I can't speak for everybody, but in my family, we've, we've had, we've, we've had our loss, but we are also have a lot, you know, we have, like I said, my, my children do have these services and we have been able to kind of, you know, ha even have some of that at home. They've given us homework, vision exercises at home and things like that. Mm -hmm. so, so we are, we're still very fortunate, even, even with everything. Of course, and especially you, because you've seen atrocities that we we can not only imagine, and you've managed to keep your sanity through all of this. So it's, uh, I mean, at least that's what we think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a matter, it has helped with perspective. And, you know, because I was a conflict photographer, and I've covered like human rights issues around the world. And I remember like one of my, one of the people I follow, um, an organization called Shiro's it's in India and it's a 
camp, it's, they have a cafe, but it's run by acid attack survivors. And I remember watching them early on in, in our kind of lockdown situation. And they were posting these like beautiful inspirational stories. And those girls, those young women have already been through like the worst things that can happen to you. And they were telling everyone to kind of like keep their chins up and, you know, that it's going to be okay, that no matter what happens, you adjust and you, and you, you learn to live in a different way and you can still find joy in no matter what. Well said. That's true. So when you when you travel around the world, I mean, I, I did ask you to think about five things that you cannot live without. And I'm, yeah, I'm wondering what are the five things that you cannot live without in travel or at home? Are you talking about like physical things? Are you talking about during travel? I'm, I'm a little unclear on what you're... I often talk about what people cannot live without in the fashion world because we talk to a lot of tall uh, women and men. But I'd like to know how the life of a photographer is or a photojournalist is um, organized. And if there are, you know, what are your top five things that you use in your everyday life? Could it be your camera? Could it be your, you know, your favorite coffee brand or your favorite uh you know scarf when you travel because we like to have a little bit of an insight as to how people live um that's a good question i would say i i would say you know because i was a i was a, i was traveling for my work before we had the internet the way we do now and so i think just having connection is you know, in no matter what is really important, particularly when you have little kids. <laughs> so mm. I, it's been much easier to, when I have had assignments and they've been in other parts of the world to be able to talk to them every day. So I think having connection is super important and a game changer really for international travelers. Um, I would say the things that I can't do without the other things would be definitely coffee. I don't necessarily have <laughs> No matter where I'm at, like coffee is a must. I mean, I'm even from like war zones, like there's no coffee, there's no work. Like we're not doing it. So that's definitely one of them. I would say my husband about 10 years ago gave me a little compass that I put in my camera bag. So when I travel, it's always just to remind me where home is. You know, that's the idea of it. You know, that there's always find my way back home. Mm -hmm. So I always take that with me when I travel. And I would, you know, there's definitely, there's definitely creature comforts that are essential with international travel. Um, I would definitely like, I think that for me, my brain doesn't really shut off very well until it's like, it's forced to do so. So I think like having a good program to watch at the end of the day, even if it's just in bed, you know, on your iPad or on your phone or something, I think it's just <laughs> having something to turn on to turn the brain off and, and kind of moving through shows. I just started watching the new Queer Eye last night and it was just amazing because it's just something that, you know, there's so much positivity in it. And I think we need all, as much positivity right now as we can get. Absolutely. And what else? Um, Cause I have one more, right? Um, <laughs> well, I'm sure your camera is also something that you can't well, live without, obviously. Yeah. I kind of figured that was a given. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah I would say you know I think that there's but you know what I also really love is the ability to do video you know I find that the 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 the, the videos that I have are just as important as the photographs um and that's can that can be on my on my cameras or on my phone you know when I look back 
you know, when I think about my dad, I like to look at the videos that we have. And, um, and I, and I think about when, when Forrest, my son, he was here for the hosting program, but when he had to go back to China for a period to, before the adoption was finalized, I mean, just having the videos of him running around the house was like, was so important to just have. So those are, those would be the things that I think are the most, you know, that, that are valuable. Perished. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Uh, I know we you have to run, but um, it you know it's been an honor for me to talk to you because you are such an accomplished uh, person, and as I said, you live a life of uh, purpose and meaning, and uh, we can all be inspired by all the things that you do. I wish you really all the best with your children and your family, and moving along. And I'm sorry for your loss. Wow. People, people. Yeah. For- forget you know that uh, you know there is a coronavirus but so much pain also uh, with uh, with other illnesses no I, I appreciate that do you want to say hi to the kids I can bring them in here just to say hi for a minute oh with pleasure okay hold on one second hi children hi 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 I love your red glasses you know I used to have red glasses as well it's pink in the inside. oh they're pink inside uh-huh So what do you like about Albinism Awareness Day? Well, we get to wear white. <laughs> yeah, we do. We, we, we do because they wore white last year. So they, you know, oh, just kind of. Do we have to wear white? I'm happy to be, wear white as well. <laughs> I didn't know there was a white. Okay, I'll do that as well. And It's on Saturday. Yeah, it's this Saturday. So I did an interview with her that they're going to publish um, so people can learn more about albinism. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. Will it be in the news? <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be on a podcast, so you can you will be able to listen to it. Yeah, radio show. This? Yeah. Yeah, like a radio show, exactly. So what are they going to say? Well, well, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But isn't it nice that she cared, she really wanted to learn a little bit more, and then the people that she's that will listen to it, she's helping to educate them about the issue. Mm-hmm. So one one of our issues is that. We do. We are a little bit blind. I I was I used to be colorblind. I can see a lot more clearly. Now. You can see the colors now. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that plants have albinism? See, there's plants that have albinism, not just animals. I don't know. Animals and fruits. There's actually a white strawberry. Yep. I've seen the white strawberry, but is that natural? I thought it was, or is that natural in nature? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, we've done some presentations in school, and, and yeah, they have they have plants that have it, as well as animals. Oh, well, that's such a treat! Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. Catch up soon. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. I don't know about you, but this conversation with the amazing Stephanie Saint Clair has just filled my heart with that much more love and compassion for the other, especially those with differences. I want to remind you that you can uh, check out all of the places, all of the websites, all of the associations where you can help, you can donate or give your time. You know, these people, uh, people with albinism need Uh, special books, special tools to um, get educated, they need glasses, and so many associations run schools in Africa and 
I'm sure in um, uh, other Western countries. So I'm going to put as much information as I can on the website t-factor.online. So really don't hesitate to check that out. I'm going to leave you today with a song by Salif Keita, that person I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. He's from Mali. He is a huge star in Africa and quite frankly around the world. Um, his daughter also is a, a Paralympian athlete. So um, Nantenine, she has been running for France. Uh, he is singing a song with uh, Cesario Evora called Yamore. And I'll see you next time. Did my